This podcast is brought to you by GuestLogix, the leading global provider of ancillary-focused merchandising, payment, and business intelligence technology to the airline industry. To learn how GuestLogix can elevate your ancillary revenue potential, visit www.guestlogix.com. People misuse the word fantastic all the time. They'll say their lawn looks fantastic or how was dinner? It was fantastic. But when American Airlines reported earnings last week, their numbers were truly the stuff of fantasy. Because before now, nobody had ever done this. It was the most profitable quarter an airline has seen in the history of airlines. $1.9 billion was the net. Yeah, and you know how they did it? They did it by not doing something. They didn't hedge jet fuel. And as we said in this week's Airline Weekly, they paid $1.80 per gallon of fuel. United who does some hedging, paid 217 and Delta, who's more heavily hedged, paid 240 a gallon. 240 versus $1.80. That's a 33% increase, and that is a big difference when you're talking about fuel, the industry's biggest variable cost. Yeah, and hedging was the biggest difference maker, but we should point out that although it was the key reason they had the very best quarter, it wasn't the only reason they had a great quarter. I mean, after all, all those airlines you mentioned had great quarters because things, after all, are firing on all cylinders for all U.S. carriers. Yeah, but still, we're talking about how genius, how brilliant and visionary it was of American not to hedge. And it's all giving me a bit of deja vu. Because in the years leading up to the spike, the oil spike of 2008, we were talking about Southwest with the same admiration because they did hedge and those hedges gave them a huge advantage when oil was on the upswing. So which is it? Is it smart to hedge or is it just a zero sum game where you win when you guess right and you lose when you guess wrong? And if that's the case, why do airlines play this game and is American right not to? I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President here at Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. We're going to talk some more about hedging. We're also going to talk about troubles at Air France and KLM. We're going to talk about Spirit, who's seen, seen some revenue pressure, and WestJet, an airline that seems to have all the right moves. We'll talk about some of their endeavors as well on this week's edition of the Airline Weekly Lounge, coming up right now. Now, Southwest, when they enjoyed their hedge advantage leading up to the 2008 fuel run-up, they said one benefit of the hedge was that it bought them time, time to adapt their business model to a world with expensive fuel. Sounds reasonable. What does that look like in the real world, though? What kind of steps would they be taking? Well, quite simply, matching supply with demand. It sounds simple, right? It's what every business is trying to do, but it's very hard to do in the airline industry. We're, we're talking in this case about the capacity of seats, supply of seats with the number of travelers who want to travel and the amount that they're willing to pay to travel. Because in the end, that's really what determines the airfares that airlines get. You put too many seats into the marketplace, fares come down. If jet fuel prices are very low, low fares might be okay. If they're high, well, probably not. 
And so what happened was Southwest really through uh, most of the last decade was able to still keep growing, putting more supply into the marketplace, uh, even though this meant lower fares because Southwest, after all, could break even with rather low fares. That was a big problem for all of its competitors. Well, eventually, of course, the party ended for Southwest. Ironically, when fuel prices began falling and all of a sudden, those hedges were no longer an advantage. In fact, they were a liability because Southwest had basically promised to pay too much for jet fuel. So before that, everybody thought that Southwest was you know, some kind of genius, that they had known that fuel prices were going to keep rising forever. In fact, Southwest just was in a very good position where they had a lot of cash and they were able to buy that protection, that insurance, as we talked about a minute ago, against rising fuel prices. When those fuel prices started falling, Southwest did indeed have to begin adapting by especially not growing as quickly as it had previously grown. But whereas other airlines had to adapt very quickly, and frankly, most of them weren't able to adapt quickly enough and ended up in bankruptcy, Southwest had all decade to think about what would happen in that kind of eventuality. So now comes American, and they have a different philosophy. Hedging may be a zero-sum game, but that isn't the only reason American gets rejects hedging. American also sees a strategic advantage in being unhedged. They, they say that fuel prices and revenues tend to move in tandem. When fuel prices rise, revenues rise, and vice versa. Again, that sounds good, but why does it matter? Yeah, and, and Americans write that certainly when fuel is expensive, those tend to be the times where, at least maybe with some lag time, it doesn't happen right away, revenues rise because, again, you get what I was just talking about before, those capacity adjustments, those supply adjustments where airlines stop growing as quickly, and that, in turn, uh, pushes up fares. American, you know, in, in 2009, uh, when this management team was running U.S. Airways, they basically threw their hands up and said, you know, this hedging game is very, very expensive and we're spending all this money on it. And it's not really buying us enough protection in, in their eyes. And they at the time predicted, they said, look, when we stop hedging, which U.S. Airways did back then, a practice that now, of course, has continued at American, they said, you know, when fuel prices fall, we're going to pay far less than everybody else who had essentially promised to pay those very high pr fuel prices. When fuel prices are stable, we're going to pay less than everybody else because we haven't bought the insurance. And when fuel prices rise in a quarter where they rise a lot, we'll pay a little bit more than everybody else. But that little bit more won't even come close to making up for all the money that we've saved along the way when fuel prices are falling or stable. They basically took a position that, look, we're an airline, not some kind of a hedge fund. We're certainly not psychic. You'd rather focus on uh, running the airline, pay the spot prices, and just deal with the higher fuel prices when they occur, knowing that, as you mentioned, Jason, uh, the revenues eventually catch up with the cost, even though uh, it can be a rather messy quarter when fuel prices spike for an unhedged airline. So there's the Southwest way and there's the American way. Who's right? What, what do you think? Well, you know, it's easy to sort of play uh, play the result. And, you know, when you're sitting in 2008, you think Southwest, wow, they must have been geniuses. Sitting here today, American looks like geniuses. It is true, though, that over the long term, if we step back over a bunch of years, yeah, it, you know, American has has pretty much gotten it right here uh, in, in an environment where fuel prices go up and they go down, uh, you know, an environment basically other than what we had in the early part of the last decade where they did nothing but go up and up and up. Because uh, again, if they're going to go up and down, 
you know, all things being equal, you would rather not have paid those big premiums. You would rather not have, uh, you know, had to spend money. You could have spent on something else, locking in jet fuel prices that are just as likely to go down, uh, you know, in which case the protection doesn't help you as they are to go up. So uh, American looking pretty smart right now. Having said that, Jason, uh, you know, if fuel prices do spike here somehow in the next few quarters, then all of a sudden some of its competitors will again look uh, look a little more intelligent than they do today. Do you think the industry will follow Americans' lead at all? They, they, have they shed some light on anything here? Yeah, an American is not all alone in the world uh, in doing this. Among U.S. airlines, Allegiant, uh, obviously a much smaller airline, but but a significant one nonetheless, also uh, doesn't hedge jet fuel. In Allegiant's case, it basically manages all this through capacity. When fuel is much more expensive, it just flies a lot less. It, it, it's an airline that tends to vary its flight schedules a lot anyway. So it plays with, again, something I mentioned before, the supply and demand balance uh, in, in a very aggressive way. And there are other airlines around the world that don't hedge jet fuel. Yes, yeah, so far, most of the other U.S. airlines, uh, to varying degrees, have, have kind of kept doing what they've always done. But they also hedge in just in different ways. Uh, you know, Delta, for example, owns an oil refinery, right? So that, too, is, is another kind of hedge, uh, you know, where it controls some of its supply of jet fuel. Uh, they're obviously a very different approach from what American has taken in, in not hedging at all. Um, but, yeah, so far, no evidence that they've gone down that path. They seem comfortable with the idea that, look, yeah, on average, we'll probably pay more. But that certainty, you know, having some visibility, basically narrowing the range, Jason, knowing, look, we've we've protected ourselves with a certain percentage of our jet fuel costs. And so instead of being in a situation where jet fuel could cost absolutely anything next quarter, you know, it's going to kind of cost somewhere between X and Y. They like having that visibility. And so far, they're sticking with that. And while a lack of hedges made Americans quarter across the Atlantic, we see that the kind of devastation wrong way hedges can cause. Air France and KLM actually paid more for fuel this quarter when you combine their hedging and the strong dollar. And this was not what Air France, KLM needed at all, was it? Not at all. Yeah. Hard to believe considering how fast you know, crude oil prices in dollar terms have fallen that, that an airline uh, you know, that's not even you know, growing rapidly or anything could have somehow paid more for jet fuel. But that's exactly what happened at Air France KLM, as you said, sort of a combination of, of, of those hefty hedges and currency movements. And it's an airline that has all kinds of other problems, uh, you know, a rather high cost airline to begin with an airline with labor issues, and an airline where a lot of its important long-haul markets, which were really long its bread and butter, uh, are no longer the the, the kinds of uh, uh, profit uh, centers that they once were. I'm talking, Jason, about oh, Latin America, let's say, flights to Brazil, a market that's having all kinds of problems, flights to Asia as well, where, by the way, Air France, KLM has lost uh, what was a, a somewhat significant partner, Japan Airlines, now uh, partnering much more closely with its One World Alliance members and, uh, uh, and not with Air France, KLM anymore. And so, yeah, an airline who thought it had short haul problems, uh, you know, the, the, the very competitive European market you know, against airlines like EasyJet, Ryanair, everybody else, but thought, well, long haul at least is going rather well. That had been the case. And now even that 
is not the case. Also interesting to note, Jason, by the way, that uh, the KLM side of the company had for a long time been the far more profitable side. That's no longer really the case. It did better than Air France last year, but that was largely because uh, Air France endured a very debilitating pilot strike. If you kind of net that out and look at the two companies, there have actually been some quarters recently where KLM did no better and in some cases worse than Air France itself. Let's talk about Spirit Airlines a bit. They posted a 22% operating margin, and we basically said in Airline Weekly they are underachieving, which is all rather interesting to me, underachieving with a 22% margin. But basically it comes down to two things. Uh, number one, ticket prices are weakening. And number two, weather disruptions. Why does weather affect spirit more than other airlines? Yeah, it's a good question, Jason, and, and not necessarily an obvious answer, but one that makes a lot of sense when you understand it. So spirit, uh, as opposed to other airlines, uh, has a lot of destinations, um, but it doesn't fly its routes as frequently as some others. You know, I, I mentioned a few moments ago, Allegiant, Allegiant, by the way, an even more extreme example of what we're talking about here and an airline that's impacted similarly. So what happens is, if you picture, say, an airline like Southwest, Southwest is the opposite of spirit in this regard. It has a fair number of destinations, of course, but it has a very dense network of you know, 600 airplanes that are flying all day between these places. Uh, so when something goes wrong at one of those airports, uh, there's probably another plane not far away that can fill in in terms of a spare. You know, spirit has spare aircraft capacity, just like every airline, but when you have airports that in some cases uh, you serve you know, maybe once or twice a day, in a few cases less than that, it's not like you're going to have a spare aircraft on the ground at all those places. So it, it, it's much more of a thin network where the closest spare aircraft uh, might be very far away. So it does impact spirit. Uh, more significantly than other airlines. And, uh, you know, they've tried to do some things over the past few years to uh, improve their operations. But when you're going to run a network like that, you're just never going to be quite as reliable as, as airlines that have lots and lots of flights all the time at most of their airports. And regarding ticket prices, Spirit complained of, quote, pre-consolidation, unquote, pricing behavior. That sounds ominous. What are they seeing regarding that? Yeah, in the end, Jason, it really comes down to capacity, to supply. You know, U.S. airlines are growing rather rapidly, and, and and none more rapidly than Spirit, by the way. So, I mean, they're, they're a part of all this. But, yeah, a lot of the things that had sort of built up where it became a little bit harder for consumers to get very good deals in, in recent years, and, and, and people couldn't find good deals, a lot of times the, the only decent deal they could find was on Spirit. Now, all of a sudden, the other airlines are uh, sort of relaxing some of the pricing, you know, not having some of the restrictions that they once had, uh, you know, just competing more vigorously for business again. And, and Spirit has made a good living uh, being the airline that was there for people uh, when they didn't have other low fare options. Uh, you know, people will tell you they don't like flying Spirit, but in the end, you know, they, they do like a good deal. And when Spirit was there with a, uh, a much cheaper fare than somebody else, people would take that airline. And all of a sudden, you know, if, if let's say JetBlue, an airline with more amenities or one of the other competitors is also offering low fares, all of a sudden the value proposition on Spirit, you know, when you take into account the, you know, the things that people don't like about Spirit, the, the lack of legroom and you know, all the fees and everything else, all of a sudden it's not the same advantage 
as it once was. And that's clearly impacting them. And I have to say, Jason, you know, Spirit, on one hand, has been right a lot more often than it's been wrong. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's doing poorly only by its own very lofty standards. But on the other hand, uh, you know, they're an airline that's said sometimes in recent years, oh, you know, we have more opportunities than airplanes, lots and lots of opportunities, can't get the aircraft fast enough. But there are other airlines that have said that at various points in history, including Southwest, uh, really shortly before it stopped growing uh, back in about 2008, 2009, uh, said it had more opportunities in airplanes and then suddenly uh, basically stopped growing. So, uh, you know, it's possible that the lowest hanging fruit are picked and it's going to have to be more creative in terms of looking for uh, not just growth opportunities, but profitable growth opportunities. Are you surprised that competition seems to be ramping up this fast? I mean, for years now oil prices and consolidation have tamped down competition. And sure, oil prices are now down and consolidation is over. But it still seems like the party's ending rather fast. Turn out the lights. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah, it, you know, I, I'd say it has happened perhaps a little more quickly than we would have expected. The fact that uh, you know low fuel prices are incentivizing airlines to grow, again, yeah, that's no surprise. And, you know, and, and the irony that the you know, Justice Department began investigating airline pricing behavior just as airline fares very predictably had begun falling, as they almost always do in a situation like this. You know, the market does kind of uh, take care of itself from a consumer perspective and, and not such great news for airlines themselves who who were kind of hoping for a little more of that environment where they could have uh, where they could have it both ways you know, basically have the low fuel cost but still the very high revenues so so this eventuality very predictable but yeah it's happening rather rapidly and perhaps more rapidly than some people thought in the end uh, you know it, it's it's just the economics of this industry where when jet fuel is cheaper it becomes more of a fixed cost industry again and and uh, you know the old model of you know keep the airplane in the air you know utilization the, the really the Southwest model starts to look attractive again and most US airlines really with a notable exception of United are growing at least somewhat significantly at this point and and basically, Faster than U.S. GDP, and when that happens, airfares almost always fall. All right, moving north, uh, let's talk about Canada's low-cost carrier, WestJet. They reported earnings on Tuesday, another successful quarter. They were also the subject of this week's cover story in Airline Weekly. In that article, we talk about the many changes they've gone through in recent years, changes such as adding Encore, its regional unit, adding an upgraded seat category called PLUS, they are now charging for bags. Some of these changes are rather typical of airlines around the world, but some are fairly daring, aren't they? They are, especially for an airline that, you know, as you mentioned, is, is doing so well. WestJet, though, uh, you know, again, I, I said this about Spirit a moment ago, but certainly true of WestJet, an airline that's been right more than it's been wrong over its own you know, two-decade history at this point. Uh, and so you do give them some benefit of the doubt. Uh, look, WestJet recognizes that uh, there's room for growth in the Canadian market, but not infinite room for growth. This is a mature market. You know, this is not, uh, you know, Southeast Asia or, or other parts of the world where we've seen airlines just uh, really growing by leaps and bounds and able to find new opportunities everywhere. Uh, so, so WestJet has done a lot of the things over the years. I mean, they started as just a domestic airline. Then they started crossing the border and, you know, then flying to the Caribbean and so forth. And, you know, as you mentioned, sort of adding uh, different kinds of products, uh, an extra legroom product, which is now 
morphing into more of a what you might call a true premium economy product with differentiated service. But yeah, they've been going big and going small, adding 767s to fly to Hawaii and Europe. And on the other hand, uh, Q400 turboprops to penetrate some of the smaller city uh, uh, airports in Canada, where uh, you know which Air Canada had basically um, had to itself. And yeah, I mean, you have to ask yourself, you know, just taking, for example, the 767s, uh, basically low cost, long haul flying, a model that has almost never worked anywhere in the world. So, so you know, something has to give. Is it going to be that WestJet, which is, has almost always been right, is going to be right about this, or just the reality that other smart airlines have tried this and fail, which one of those is going to prevail? The important thing is to note that WestJet has, has really mitigated its risk in the way it's done these things. With the long-haul flying, for example, again, remember what I said, used 767s. This is not sort of the you know the bet the company move that that Norwegian made when it spent you know billions of dollars on 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 Dreamliners for example. So you know WestJet bought some rather cheap old wide bodies. I'm sure they'll be very nice inside and and so forth. But uh, you know but still uh, low risk in terms of what it spends on these aircraft. When you buy cheap aircraft, you have for example the flexibility to to vary your capacity to park them on days of the week or at times of the year when there's just not enough demand. So. Uh, you know, it, it's it's doing a lot of things, but it's doing them in ways where if they don't work, and I mean, look, there's every possibility that some of these things at least won't work. Uh, you know, they're not probably going to cripple the company. But WestJet, like every other airline, uh, you know, saying, you know, where can we grow? And again, those very lowest hanging fruit, you know, just flying between the big Canadian cities uh, are somewhat picked. And so it's looking elsewhere. All right. Before we go, what did you learn this week? Yeah, well, we learned certainly that uh, the U.S. airline industry is under uh, more revenue pressure than perhaps uh, anybody expected, but uh, you know, continues enjoying those falling fuel prices, which sure enough have been falling again. Uh, and so it really is a race to the bottom between uh, falling fuel prices and falling revenues. So far, though, Jason, very important to note. Uh, the falling fuel prices have, have, have won the day. Airlines, including not only American, which is putting up those record numbers, but even ones that didn't get the full benefit uh, because of the, uh, the hedges, have done rather well. And around the world, to varying degrees, uh, you know, that'll be the story at some other airlines. But as you go around the world, especially when you get into places with weaker currencies, uh, that too mitigates a lot of the benefit, not just the hedges, but also just the fact that, you know, cheap fuel in dollar terms just isn't all that cheap when you're trading in a, a devalued currency. All right. Let's wrap with that. Seth, thanks for being here. And thank you for joining us as well. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge.